This morning we will be in, in Revelation chapter 4 verse, verse 11. And in, in the passage that we're looking at today, we see an extraordinary sight. It is seriously amazing. In chapter 4 of Revelation, what we are seeing is, is, is um, John explaining what the throne room of, of the kingdom looks like. But what he also is seeing in this is he's seeing 24 elders dressed immaculately, dressed in the finest robes, the, the whitest robes that you could ever, ever possibly imagine. Fall down on their faces, casting their golden crowns before the feet of Jesus, acknowledging you live forever and ever. I wish I had time um, just to, to read this chapter to us because the, the picture that we see is absolutely beautiful. but I don't have time, and, and that's all right. Uh, chapter 4 isn't that long, so if you want to read it later today, you can. But what I'm going to do is read our verse for us and uh, pray and then dive into the sermon. But before I do, I just want to re remind us, right now we're taking a, a pause from Luke to look at why we worship God through adoration. And a brief definition of adoration is looking at the glory of God and allowing that to move us to our cores. It's acknowledging the glory and bigness of God. And so Revelation chapter 4 verse 11 says this. Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Father, we come before you this morning asking and pleading that you would give us insight to your word, that you would soften our hearts and, and, and open up the eyes of our hearts and to the knowledge and insight into the Holy One. We ask this morning that you would allow us to experience you, that we would walk away from this Sunday morning treasuring your son Jesus above anything else. That we would see you for who you are and see how much glory you have declared. Oh, Father, be gracious to us this morning and allow us and allow our act of worship to come off as a pleasing aroma to you. God, it is only by your will that you reveal yourself to us. And so I ask and plead this morning that you would do that. That we would submit ourselves, body, soul, and will to you, the creator of all things. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. There were three friends that were 
walking down a, a path. They were talking their walk away. And, and the first friend reached deep down into his pocket, pulled out a, a piece of a spearmint gum, took off that tinfoil wrapping, threw the piece of gum in his mouth, crumpled up the tinfoil and threw it on the ground. The other friend saw him do that. The, the second friend saw him do that, turned around quickly, picked it up and was telling his friend, do you know how bad for the environment this is? Do you, do you understand the consequences to the animals that this can cause? He, he starts to talk and he starts to explain all of this scientific stuff like photosynthesis and, and that's about all I know but more scientific stuff with, with nature and, and, and his, his voice is starting to get a little loud but it's because he's passionate right now and, and it doesn't show that he's angry at his friend but he loves his friend and he wants his friend to understand how great and marvelous the earth is. And while these two friends are, are talking, the third one is just walking there with his hands in his pockets, not really realizing what's going on. And, and the other two friends kind of look at him and ask, well, what do you think? And he takes his hands out of his pockets and kind of puts his arms up like this and squints his eyes and says, you know, I don't know. I guess I've never really thought about it. What is your view of God? Small? Is it big? Or maybe you're indifferent and, I don't know, I guess I've just never really thought about it. Far too often, our sin clouds our sight, causing us to see God smaller than He is, which makes us indifferent to wanting to see Him as big and glorious as we possibly can in this life. But what our passage shows us this morning is that God is worthy to receive our worship. Because he is far bigger than our pea brains could ever comprehend. God is worthy to receive our worship because he is far bigger than we can ever comprehend. But, but just in case... You, you are sitting here thinking, well, then why bother gather on Sunday? Or why should I bother reading my Bible? Is that God has actually made himself comprehensible to us. And the amazing thing is, is that God wants us to know him and he wants us to know how much glory he has and how big he actually is. And he has done this through his word. And so in order for us to, to look at what I have just said maybe a little bit better, I want to ask this question. What does the glory and bigness of God look like? Well, we see in our verse a, 
a clue. We see God is perfect in creating. This passage, it it tells us right away that God is worthy to receive honor, glory, and power. Why? Because He created all things and it is by His will they existed. I, I love how the psalmist puts it. He puts it very plainly and simply. And I like it because I'm a pretty plain and simple guy. He, he says in, in Psalm 33 verse 9, He spoke and it came to be. He commands and it stood firm. The psalmist is saying, God spoke, it was there, He commands and it stays. And so maybe the question that we need to ask here then is what did God speak? What did God create? Because these 24 elders seem to be worshiping and acknowledging that the one who is on the throne receives glory, honor, and power because he is able to create all things. Well, on day one, he created light. On day two, he formed the sky and the atmosphere. On day three, he spoke and the earth came to be land formed and and the the dew and, and the rain piled into places and seas were created and trees burst forth from the ground and, and plants and flowers started to burst into life, giving this earth color. He spoke on day four and the sun was created and the moon and the stars. He created a uh, the sun to rule the morning and the moon and stars to rule the night. He spoke on day five and we start to see sea animals wiggling around through his pool. And we start to see birds flying through his air. On day six, land animals start to scurry across his ground and humans are there because he spoke it and it existed. Theologians call this ex nihilo. It means out of nothing, absolutely nothing. God created everything. And that is incredible. Why is that incredible? Because most people use the illustration that God is like an artist with a blank canvas. However, that illustration far too often, not far too often, 100% of the time falls flat on its face. Because God created everything out of nothing. So there is no painting or canvas in front of God. He just spoke and it was there. He spoke the paintbrush and it came. He spoke the colors and it was there. God created all things out of nothing and he gave them a way to tick. He created them in such a way that there is order that it still stands. And our passage tells us that it's by his will that it remains. Does it not puzzle anybody? Like, have you ever thought about that the world, that earth is in outer space? 
And yet we're told, right, when astronauts go to outer space, they're sitting there just kind of floating around. But our earth remains in the same spot for thousands of years. Never moving one inch to the right or one inch to the left. It is because by God's will that he commands it to stay exactly where it is. There is not one atom or molecule or the tiniest blood cell that has gone off the walls without God knowing it. Because all things stand firm according to His will. One of my favorite memories growing up with my, my mom other than when she would bring me on Wednesday, uh, Wednesdays to, to Burger King for the Whopper Juniors when they used to have those at Burger King and Hershey Pies is when after basketball practice when she would pick me up at night we would stand in the cold driveway looking up at the night sky, counting the shooting stars that would come across. And, and usually we would stand out there either for about five minutes to see who could count the most or who could stay out the longest because, you know, Wisconsin just gets incredibly cold. And at first, that was just a game to see who could count the most shooting stars whizzing past the night sky. But now when I look up at the night sky and I see a star sling across the, the sky, I have a reason to worship. Because the creator of the universe had that star shoot across the sky for my enjoyment and His glory. Does God's creation cause you to worship Him more? When you're out walking or when you're driving or when you're fishing or, or deer hunting or taking your children outside to play, does it cause you to worship God more? It's amazing that in the summertime, most yards, right? Most yards have green and luscious grass. And it's amazing to think that God knows exactly how many pieces of blades of grass are in your front yard. Or have you ever considered about thinking during the fall time that when the leaves are changing from their green to the orange and, and red and that they start to fall, that they are falling because God has told them it's time to let go. Or in the winter time when it's snowing out and we're told that there is no snowflake alike. That the reason that is is because the creator of the universe never runs out of artistic ideas. I mean, think about the trillions upon trillions upon trillions upon trillions of snowflakes that have existed and that continue to fall in the winter time and yet we are told that there's not one alike because our God does not run out of ideas. Look at your fingernails. Yes, even 
your fingernails, although you cut them, or if you're like me, you chew them off. They still grow back. I can't help but when I look at Haddon, sit there and think that he is exactly the way that God planned him to be because he knit him in Sharice's womb. Or consider the the hairs that are on your head. God knows exactly how many hairs are on your head right now. Or maybe he knows how many hairs are falling out of your head right now. Or if you don't have any hair on your head, he knows exactly how many eyelashes and eyebrows that you have. Think of the coffee bean. That God created the coffee bean. And he put it in some genius's mind to crush it up and put it in hot water. (laughs) Is the God you worship big? Is the God you worship big? Big. There's, there's something else important about the, the creation that tells us uh, about God. It tells us this. That God is perfect in character. Because God is perfect... In character, when he created all things, he was able to look at all things and say that it is good. If God was not perfect, he would have not been able to look at his creation and call it good. And if God is imperfect and he called it good, then he is a liar, which makes him not good. There is no God that is perfect like our God. He does not make mistakes because he is perfect in character. When the man came up to Jesus and called him good teacher, Jesus confronts him and says, why do you call me good? Only God is good. Now Jesus is good and Jesus is God and Jesus is drawing out this man's heart. And in God's eyes, good is perfection. And so because God is good and God is perfect, when he looks at his creation, he is able to call it good because he is perfect in character. I'd like to just name a few qualities of God that he is perfect in. And I can't exhaust this list or we would be here for the next 100 years. But I've got seven. God is eternal. Moses tells us that God is from everlasting and to everlasting. God is good. We just got done seeing how when Jesus is questioned about being good, he he points to God and how God is good. We are told in, in Psalm 119 that God's righteousness is 
righteous. That's one to maybe think about a little bit. God's righteousness is righteous. That God is all-powerful. We see this in Genesis 1 and throughout the entirety of Scripture, how God is constantly protecting His people. How He is raining food down for His people to eat and telling Moses, strike the rock and water flows from a rock. I don't know how many times you guys have seen something like that happen, but for me, it's a zero. But God is able to do that when he says, do that. God is all-knowing. The secret things belong to the Lord. Why? Because there are things that if God revealed to us, it would crush us. God is all-present. We see in the Psalms, the writer of Psalm 139, where can I go? If I go to heaven, you are there. If I descend to hell, you are there. If I fly, you are there. If I descend into the deepest, darkest parts of the ocean, you are there. God does not lack at all in one ounce of his character. He is completely perfect. Maybe one of my favorite and final attributes is that God is immutable. God does not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. There is not a single event in history that has happened on accident because it was just a whoops. No, God knows and has allowed all things to happen to display His glory and for our good. Does God's perfect character cause you to worship Him more? Have you ever considered what it means that God is from everlasting and to everlasting? Or that his righteousness is righteous? That his love is lovely? That his kindness is kind? That his goodness is good? That he knows every single thing about you and actually knows you better than you know yourself. That he is all powerful over this life and the life to come. That he is right now present with us in Appleton, Wisconsin at the same time in Sydney, Australia. Is the God you worship big? See, this should cause two reactions in us. The first reaction is that it should cause our hearts to leap with joy because God is not a puny man-made wimp. He isn't. But this should 
also cause our hearts to tremble because he is completely and utterly perfect in every single way. And we are told to be holy because he is holy. We are told to be perfect because he is perfect. Which leads us to our third way of being able to see God's glory and bigness is that God is completely perfect in saving. Because man is sinful and rebellious and imperfect, God's righteous, just, and perfect judgment and wrath are set on us. When Adam and Eve were in the garden, they rebelled against God, taking that fruit and eating it, causing, causing separation and eternal judgment set upon mankind. I mean, far too often we try to, to belittle how, how bad we actually are, but I must be as honest as possible because the Word of God is my witness this morning. That we are told in Ephesians chapter 2 that we are dead in our sins. Not just a little bit dead, but fully dead. That Ezekiel eleven nineteen lets us know that our hearts are made of stone. That Romans tells us that we are enemies of God. It's not that we're just a, a little bit good trying to do good things to get right with God just so that maybe He would see my little bit goodness and be okay with it. No, we are completely and utterly separated from God because of our sin. We all deserve righteous and just judgment because all of us fall short of the glory of God. God demands perfection in this life and we cannot give it to Him. We can't. It's impossible. But He also has perfect love Mercy and grace. <laughs> he has perfect, absolutely perfect love, mercy, and grace. And he shows us this by sending his son Jesus to die for our sins. We're, we're told in, in Philippians 2, one of my favorite chapters in the whole entire Bible, that God himself actually comes down in the form of a man and doesn't count equality with himself a thing to even be grasped. But he humbles himself in the form of a servant. And what does this servant do. He lives the perfect life that you and I were told to live. He lives the perfect life that we, we can't live. 
He dies the death facing the judgment and wrath of God that you and I deserve. And he rose three days later from the dead, defeating sin and death so that all those who call upon his name and believe in their heart and confess their sins to him can have eternal life with him. And do you know what the most amazing part of this is? It's that... Your sin goes to him and he takes your and he takes his righteousness and gives you his righteousness so that when you stand before God on judgment day that he will not see your sin and blemish but he will see his son's perfect and spotless righteousness on you. He will see you as a son and daughter to his kingdom. He sees you as perfect, spotless, because of what his son Jesus has done for you. Not not what you've done. It's as if you're standing before a judge. It's as if you're standing before a judge in a courtroom. You are guilty and you know you're guilty. You know the judge knows you're guilty and you know the jury knows that you are guilty. You deserve life behind bars. Sent to solitary confinement to to live the rest of your life in a six by six concrete room with no windows, never to enjoy anything ever again. And just before the the judge makes his sentence on you, his son, the judge's son, stands up and says, Take me, take me. I will take his sentence. Give him my freedom. This is what Jesus has done for you. He stood up. He stood up and shouted, take me. I'll take their sentence. I'll take their punishment. And for those who accept me, love me, and obey what I have said, give them my freedom. Don't even look at them as criminals anymore. Look at them as if you looked at me. So maybe you're thinking, I'm just too guilty. I'm too guilty. I'm too guilty, Max. There's no way God could send his son Jesus to die for my sin. I'm just too guilty. He took your sentence. He took it. Maybe, maybe you're thinking, I'm just, I'm, I'm too sinful. I, you know, I, I do believe in this, but I just, I just continue to, to struggle in my sin. I, I continue to just, I, I, time after time, I really do believe. He took your 
sentence. There is no sin in this world that can out-sin God's grace. This is the free gift that's offered to all who, have, who, who are willing to repent of their sins. God is perfect in saving because before the foundation of the world, he predestined and adopted you to be children of God. This is the doctrine of election. right? Jesus says, I know my sheep. I know them. And I'm going after them. And there is not one sheep who will fall out of my hand. There is not one person that has ever existed that has just accidentally walked into hell because Jesus' back was turned. He has a 100% track record in saving his people and keeping his people because he says, that once you are sealed with the Holy Spirit, he is going to bring you to completion and praise God for that because I far too often am stupid. And so I want to ask again, I want to ask again, is the God you worship big? I'd like to conclude like this. Maybe you're thinking that, well, this, this type of understanding of God is for the intellectually smart. These, this is for those, uh, what do they call it? The smarty pants of the world. This is the amazing thing about God, is it not? That the the smartest, most intellectually capable people in this world will never fully comprehend God. And the, the smartest people in this, this world even think it's, it's foolish. But yet, on the other hand, God is so loving and kind that He shows Himself and makes Himself known to children. Wasn't this the problem with the Pharisees? Right? The ones who were the most intellectual, the smartest people of their day, the ones who should have known Jesus was the Messiah. Those were the smarty pants of, of the day. And yet, time after time, it's like they're beating their head against the wall because they're trying to figure out who Jesus is. Yet, what we see is Jesus riding into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. And it's the children who are crying out, Hosanna. Hosanna. It's the son of David. And so this type of understanding is not for the intellectual. In fact, I think what we can learn is that this type of understanding is for the children of God. To know the bigness of God is for the children of God.
And so this is why we want to take adoration here on the Sunday service as important and serious. And this is why I've been praying that in your lives through this message, you would take this outside of the Sunday service and add adoration to your life. This is why we've put adoration in here in our bulletin stated as this. We want to start the service with adoration because God is worthy to be praised. This means we start with recognition of God's true nature and attributes. Starting with adoration, it gets to the main point of why we gather. It's to worship our great and good God. Adoration makes gospel sense. As the mind and heart are awakened to the true nature of God, a person starts to understand the greatness of who God is and the authority and power He has, which leads us to honor, obey, love, and seek God in response to understanding His greatness and goodness. And so we want to do this here a few ways. We want to start with a call to worship. We want to start right away with seeing in God's word what he says about what his nature is. And we want to do this through songs. Preparing ourselves for our great and mighty Savior. But it doesn't stop here. It starts right here. Every day of our lives, we need to be asking God to make himself bigger to us by praying to him and then searching his word to see what he says about his glory and bigness. Adoration of God in the Christian life needs to happen daily. And it needs to happen with his children. We have not been called to take on this journey by ourselves, but instead we have been called into a family to encourage one another to see, taste, and know the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we... Praise your name because you are worthy to be praised. We we come before you acknowledging that we are but finite creatures that one day will pass. But yet you are from everlasting and to everlasting. And so I plead that you would make yourself known to us. That you would make your bigness and greatness and majestic name known to us so that when we leave here, we leave loving you more. Father, I ask that you would comfort those that, that you comfort those that have come here today hurting and aching and that they would see your bigness and be comforted knowing that their father sees them, knows them, and loves them. And Father, I ask that because I I completely and utterly believe in your sovereignty, I know that 
Your word is being planted into the hearts of unbelievers, those that don't know your son as their Lord and Savior. And so I ask that that you would continue to soften their hearts to this good news and that if today is the day that salvation has come, that that they would shout that from the mountaintops. And so I pray this in your son Jesus' name who is worthy to receive all glory, honor, and power. Amen.